if I'd had the word queer and poly at age 10, it would have saved, it would have meant the entire difference in my life. Mm. But I've been, I know I was different from a very early age. And if I had been gay, I said, like many people who are gay, who say, oh, I always knew. Yeah. I always knew that I was not like other kids. Right. And it wasn't until I was older that I came to understand that it was surrounding my sexual, what I understand to be now, orientation. Right. Um, but at the time, I just felt like an alien. I always felt like, um, my father said, I marched home from uh, fourth grade and announced that I was an oddball. Said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time? Podcast listeners, greetings from Vancouver. Cassie and I had a beautiful drive up the coast from L.A. Followed the sunny, warm days right up the coast and right into Vancouver. And now we're unpacking and getting our shit together here for a summer. I've cut the podcast back to once every other week um, just because I really got to get focused on Civilized to Death, which has been gestating in my belly for over a year now. Time to birth this thing. And uh, so I'm uh, I'm going to rely on some of the podcasts that I've banked in uh, L.A., in those last few frenzied weeks and uh, I won't be recording as much over the summer but I'm sure I will I've already been running into really interesting people uh, along the way that I thought man I got to get back and record a podcast with him or her because they're just so interesting and for some strange willing for some strange reason willing to talk about their very private very personal lives on the microphone so what the hell let's get that stuff down but in the meantime i'll only be uh uploading them every other week so that's what's going on now this week's episode is with nina hartley uh who is a legend as probably all of you know Strangely, I've watched a fair bit of porn in my time, but I don't think I've seen a Nina Hartley movie. I don't know what I was doing. I must have been traveling or something when she hit it big um, because I sort of missed that that uh, era in porn. But um, yeah, she's huge. She's she, I guess, 70s, 80s. And um, she's a fascinating person, as you'll hear in this podcast. She's. One of these people, there's sort of a, a genre or a, a community of people in porn who are just really, really smart people. Um, Nika Noel, who uh, was my guest, I guess, two podcasts back now, um, definitely falls into that camp. Uh, Connor Habib, who uh, is going to be coming up maybe in the next episode or two, um, who works in gay porn and Nina all are just off the charts smart interesting intellectual people very sharp thinkers great conversationalists and they envision the work that they're doing in uh, as more than just 
fucking on camera they're they're doing what they're doing involves liberation involves freeing ourselves from what uh, the poet william blake called the mind forged manacles uh which uh, we definitely have when it uh, comes to human sexuality um Okay, before we get to, to my Nina Hartley story, though, let me run through some of the business stuff. Shore Design T-shirts are our sponsor for whom we're very grateful. Uh, all the T-shirts they sent us have been snapped up. Uh, you can check for availability at my personal website, chrisryanphd.com. You'll see a tab there for T-shirts, and that'll tell you what's available. We should be getting a new shipment in any time now. I spoke with... Um, with Bennett in uh, Chiang Mai, and uh, he said they're working on it. They're they're either printing them or churning out the shirts right now. I'm not sure exactly what, but within a couple of weeks of uh, of this podcast going live, we should have a replenished supply. So that uh, is good news. Again, that's at chrisryanphd.com. Uh, if you want to donate to the podcast, which is always uh, most appreciated, you can go through our Amazon affiliate page. If you go to chrisryanphd.com and look at the um, Sex at Dawn page, you'll see uh, some tabs for Amazon, order at Amazon Now or whatever. So if you click through that, go to Amazon. You don't have to order the book, but whatever you were intending to order, as long as you follow that link into Amazon, we'll get uh, two or three percent of whatever you spend there and it won't cost you anything extra it just takes a cut out of amazon's profit margin which uh, they can afford so what the hell so that's a way for you to throw a little cash at supporting the podcast uh, without actually taking anything out of your pocket um, there's also if you go to feralaudio.com and look at tangentially speaking there i believe there's a donation page so you could donate directly uh, if you've got money burning a hole in your pocket you know like you found a suitcase full of drug money or something and you want to get rid of it as fast as possible uh, we accept that. Uh, okay, iTunes. If you if you listen to the podcast by way of iTunes, you have an iTunes account. It's always great if you uh, take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review. I'm told that helps our logarithmic uh, viability in some strange mystical way. Uh, what else can I tell you? Oh, follow me on Twitter if you're interested in my musings. That's Chris Ryan PhD or at Chris Ryan PhD, I guess is the way you say the handle on Twitter. I'm still figuring this stuff out, obviously. Um, and what else do I have to tell you? Uh, I just a few minutes ago accepted a commission to write an article, well, an essay really, more than an article for Playboy for an upcoming special issue. They're going to have a, a feature in, I think, the November issue. They said the A to Z of sexuality. And they're going to have some prominent figure or expert or sexpert or somebody write uh, an essay uh, uh, starting with each letter of the alphabet. So they're giving me M for monogamy and they want me to write a polemic essay about monogamy. So uh, that's what I'm going to be working on for the next week or so. And uh, that'll be great, man. I've, ne I've never had an essay or anything published in Playboy. I think they reviewed Sex at Dawn when it came out. I remember talking to someone from Playboy, but um, 
but I've never had a byline in Playboy. So that'll be cool. That'll be uh, definitely something I've sort of hoped for. So it'll be nice to, to see that. And uh, that's about it, I guess. So my, my Nina Hartley thing is great. I mean, talk about, you know, as most of you know, when I was working on this book, I was teaching English in Barcelona for 20 euros an hour, living hand to mouth, having a good time, living well. I was happy, but um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I was happy, but but obscure, you know, let's put it that way. Uh, and when the book came out, all sorts of shit changed, uh, you know, like the fact that I'm talking into this microphone here, looking out a window in Vancouver, knowing that 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people are going to hear this. That's, that's still blowing my mind. But um, not long after the book came out, I started meeting um, well-known people in the sort of, I guess, what we'd call the sex-positive community, like Dan Savage, for example, invited me to stay in his basement when I was traveling through Seattle on a publicity tour so that was very cool to hang out in dan savage's house for a few days and get to know terry and dj and the whole savage crew um and uh on that same trip i stayed with uh susie bright who out of the blue well she interviewed me for her podcast i think it's called in bed with susie bright um and she, at the end of after we'd finished taping she said hey you know if you're ever traveling through santa cruz and you need a place to stay give me a call you know i know what it's like to be on the road and you know we've got cocktails and a hot tub and all that so i took her up on it and i'm really glad i did she and and her partner john were just great i actually i arrived just as one of the World Series games was getting underway, and they're big baseball fans. So I arrived. They sort of said, hey, how you doing? Welcome. Gave me a hug. Brought me in. I took off my shoes. Susie gave me some slippers, sat me down in a corner seat, handed me a cocktail, and we watched the baseball game. Uh, that was great. I don't remember who won or who was playing or anything. I just remember how cool it was to show up at Susie Bright's house and have her slip some slippers on my feet um, before we even... <laughs> introduced ourselves or anything um anyway so i went to a a reading that Susie was giving in la one time when i was there visiting my family and uh after the reading Susie was signing books and i saw a woman perusing just sort of lingering around reading you know looking at the book display and i thought man she looks like nina hartley now i haven't seen nina hartley porn but i've seen nina hartley because she's become sort of a spokesperson for smart sex positive living and uh her porn career she sort of transitioned it seamlessly into sex education so now she does i guess sort of sex um x-rated hands-on sexual technique uh, videos you know teaching men the proper ways to touch women or teaching women the proper ways to touch themselves and to touch men. And I guess she covers pretty much all the bases there. And um, so I recognized her and I went over to her and I said, excuse me, are you Nina Hartley? And she said, yes. 
And I had uh, one of our business cards that had the name of the book on it, and I was going to hand it to her. And I said, my name's Chris. I wrote this book. And she looked at the card, and she jumped on me, gave me like a full body hug and said, oh, I love your book. I love your book. I love your book. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was being um, hugged enthusiastically by one of the biggest porn stars in the world. So... That was a long way from obscurity in Barcelona, I guess, is the point of that story. I'm not really sure. Anyway, let's transition into one of my favorite songs by Leela James called Long Time Coming. Now, it's not just a stupid adolescent joke about, you know, porn and long time coming, but it's about, well, you'll hear, you'll hear the defiant, I don't give a shit kind of tone in the song which something about Nina reminds me of that song so I hope you enjoy the interview A very special episode of Tangentially Speaking coming at you with Nina Hartley. Can I call you a, a legend? Are you a legend? People or are you too young to be a legend? Oh, no, no. I've been in this business 30 years in, in, a, in a business where the average career length seems to be five years or so. Hmm. I guess that qualifies me. And I'm certainly a bridge from the, I came in at the very tail end of the film era and the very beginning of the video oh, era. Right, right. And so I have, I'm a bridge to the old school because I worked with some of the people from the 70s and then obviously now into digital things, yeah. digital media. And so for the young people today who are the age that I was and I entered, I'm like Chris, uh, Colleen Brennan was when, when I got into this. I love to see the historicity of it and the, and the generational thing. But I'm a total 70s um, pro-sex feminist, which is all about the empowerment of women and sisterhood is powerful and get a mirror, look at your vulva and, and challenge the patriarchal notions of ownership of women's bodies, blah, blah, right. blah. And, com- and then adding that onto <laughs> a, a sexuality that I understood to be different from other people. I didn't, if I'd had the w- word queer and poly at age 10, it would have saved, it would have meant the entire difference in my life. Mm. But I've been, I know I was different from a very early age. And if I had been gay, I said, I, I, like many people who are gay, who say, oh, I always knew. Yeah. I always knew that I was not like other kids. Right. And I, it wasn't until I was older that I came to understand that it was surrounding my sexual, what I understand to be now, orientation. Right. Um, but at the time, I just felt like an alien. I always felt like, um, my father said, I marched home from uh, fourth grade and announced that I was an oddball. Um, <laughs> that's just, that was just a fact of it. And it's true. I, feel, I do feel like Spock. I do feel like a Martian. I do feel like... Uh, uh, my sexuality, I, I tell people my sexuality is like that of a stem cell. I'm a stem cell sexually. You can just change into I, anything. I, I morph into what it is you need because the archetype of the, of the, uh, sacred prostitute was very appealing to me in the, in the, in the whole day when God was a woman, that whole, I don't know if it's pseudo, but the early female centric, right. um, gynocentric anthropological 
musings were coming out as a challenge right, the to chalice the chalice and the blade. Oh, yes, exactly, yeah. chalice yeah. and the blade. I remember that too. So the the idea. So my understanding of sexuality, women's roles, was at a time and place that was being challenged. I lived in Berkeley, California in the 60s and 70s. I'd seek her parents who discovered Zen Buddhism when I was 10, the whole other ta- tangent. And Seeker. so. I thought you said secret parents. No, seeker. They were seekers. And they lived in Berkeley. Were Berkeley. They, were they academics or something? Um, they were refugees from the Communist Party. My mother... Um, wow. My father had been a radio uh, radio host in San Francisco, uh, very popular, to rival uh, the radio version of Herb Cain, and he was blacklisted in 57. So I was born after the fall, after the fall uh-huh. from Grace, and the fall from a good-paying job. And they, so, were, and they were both card-carrying members? My father was card-carrying. My mother was more of a fellow traveler, but they left the party in 56 after the Hungarian, Hungarian invasion, right, you know, as, as right. so many people did. So they were, you know, cast adrift. That's a whole other, the whole other thing. But in terms of in terms of my sexuality, when I was starting to read about it, I was also very early exposed to the political and social discussions of the early 70s about gender roles and historicity and uh, is there another way to look at the record and the idea that there might have been either more gynocentric culture or religion or and that women were not so too weak and women were so too powerful and our mm. involvers were not so too dirty they were so too beautiful get a mirror go look and the whole I, I took I took to it like a duck to water it was very interesting to me mm. I was I was absolutely interested in sexuality at a very very early age the way that many odd people are mm. um, and and that grew up it's so by the time I was eight I didn't have the word bisexual yet but I used to watch I didn't was raised with traditional religion and I used to watch after school t- movies from the 50, 40s and 50s and with the romantic triad of the of the female and the two guys who were best buddies and, and the and the tremendous sacrifice of the heartbreak that had to be at the end of the movie because you know everybody knew she had to pick one she everybody pick, knew right. there could only be and I just at eight I'm going what? where is it what? written? <laughs> yeah. this makes no sense to me yeah. I didn't know I didn't know what intercourse was yet I didn't know about you know anything I just said that made no sense to me yeah. Who says you only get one? Why does it have to be that? Sorry, why does it have to be that way? I, I, I just made. I just and and I've, and now that's what forty five years ago. And forty five years later, I still don't get it. Right. I just don't understand. And I, you know, my early. I just I, I created Nina um, because Mitzi just was so frustrated when she was a teenager that this, there was no place to go and ask questions about sex and get a straight answer. This was the 70s and people were trying to give straight answers. So is Nina your stage name? Nina's my stage name, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so I, I devoured the joy of sex, everything you wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. The sensuous man, the sensuous woman, medical books on menstruation, right. um, my uh, babysitting folks who were a swing, a, a, a swinger, a swinging couple from around the corner with a water, <laughs> with a water bed and, and a erotic uh, <laughs> library next to the, next to the bed. I they felt, were your babysitters? No, 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 I babysat for them. Oh, you babysat for them. So, okay. so they'd be, they'd be gone. All right. And the kid would be in bed, and I'd be right. in the back room with the you know the water bed with the padded frame and the full length oh, yeah. mirror and the, and the erotica section next to it, <laughs> and uh, so that was that was awesome, yeah. uh, and that led to a lot of uh, you know experimentation and discovering that I liked pornography, um, especially the Victorian kind with the fulsome purple prose like the autobiography of a flea or the pearl, uh, man and his maid. And where did and you find those? On the bookshelf next to the water bed where oh, I was babysitting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my parents had it. My parents, before they found Zen, they tried all kinds of therapy. One of the therapies they discovered, they tried was Reiki therapy.
therapy. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I, I got bits and pieces of all the therapeutic ideas of the 60s. So I understood, learned early on about body armor and right. Right, Primal. Wilhelm Reich. We should right. say for people Wilhelm who aren't Reich. familiar, he, he he may have ended up baddie, very but he was absolutely guy. spot on before he yeah. before the Nazis drove him out. He was one of Freud's top, uh, like oh, okay, uh, students. I, 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 and then he I, broke with Freud over over the sex thing. Yeah. And I totally, you know, because he was promoting um, uh, sexual therapy as a way for the working class right. to achieve bliss and happiness and harmonious right. home home relations. He had a very political vision of sexual. And the repression of sexual energy. Yeah, because God bless the Germans, and, and I'm from a German background, mm-hmm. and my father's raised in the old German fashion. I saw him, so I just I saw witnessing early on my parents struggle with trying to overcome their training and their conditioning mm-hmm. around sex, gender, the body, social roles, sexual roles, sexual difference, you know, sexuality differences, and and the compromises they had to to make, and the losses that they had to endure, and the, and the ways of being satisfied they weren't able to get to, and then where they ended up going instead Um, and so I learned by the time I was 12 that it was possible um, for any for anyone to do the work themselves to find their best place right did you have siblings growing up? I have three up? older siblings, but they're older enough to me that, the, that by the time my parents were deep into this, they were gone. So, oh, I'm so a, you were sort of an only I'm child. Semi, a quasi-only child. Yeah, and my yeah. brothers and I are semi-estranged, and my sister and I are, are getting closer now that we're adults. It's really nice. Right. And, uh, and I have nieces and nephews. I have great nieces and nephews, but I, I mean, again, I kept waiting to want kids because it was the 70s. Every child a wanted child. And I was 13 when Roe v. Wade was, uh, 14 when Roe v. Wade was, um, handed down and I knew instantly in my gut how important that was and how important physical autonomy is for women um, to become equal and to be able to be a parent or not be a parent and to have access. I'm a free abortion on demand to 20 weeks person, you know, Mm. no waiting period, no parental, you know, no parental um, notification. No, it's your body. You want the baby, you can get rid of the baby. It's okay. so I know I, I'll never get that. We'll never get single barrier healthcare either. <clears throat> so I, I, uh, if I had, if I had, if I hadn't been um, so sexually, if I had not been so sexually different, I might have just been a classic um, reproductive rights feminist. You know. So do you think is is the difference that you just took sexuality very seriously and were very interested in it intellectually, so it became a more central part of your life, or do you think it's a question of libido that it, there's just more of that sort of energy in you, so you were more attracted in, to it? Interesting. It's very much an intellectual pursuit for me. I mean, right. I I first as as a nurse. Ah, oh, that's right. You're a nurse. I and went I went to nursing school to become a nurse midwife. And, and what point in your career did you do that? Um, I I started going to nursing school when I was twenty um, two, and I'd had two years of you know prerequisites in anatomy, physiology, chemistry, English. Were you history. already doing porn at that no, point? No, no, okay. I was I was a, a barista. So you've um, hit two now three porn tropes: the babysitter, the barista, and the nurse. I mean, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So <laughs> running down. Um, Were you a teacher, a librarian? No, never. <laughs> in, 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 I'm a teacher now, um, but the uh, the. 
my interest in feminism started, and feminism as a thing, started not around sexual rights, but around the natural birth movement right. of uh, the late 60s, early 70s, that really was very, ra- very radical and very militant. In natural rest- birth, meaning in a, non-medicated? Just, just a, as a not automatically medicalized right. experience, that a healthy woman with a healthy body could have do natural childbirth with the help of a midwife. Yeah. Um, and that doctors were best needed for um, problematic or, or high-risk pregnancies, right. and that most most labor and delivery can be done, um, you know, uh, with the, with the midwife. I wanted to be a nurse midwife because I didn't feel comfortable being a lay midwife. And I'm more in favor of a home-like birthing unit in a hospital because right. while 95% of all births are fine, the ones that aren't need help right away. But I know plenty of people who do home births in my family and, and it works for them. So I'm obviously, I'm a proponent of, you know, prenatal care and support and doulas and midwives and doctors getting their panties out of their butts and relaxing a bit and letting <laughs> them take care of the high-risk pregnancy where they get to go be Dr. Savior Man. Yay! Right. Yeah. And leave the rest of the, that's where I get really radical feminists. Like, leave the to the women folk, you idiots. Mm. Seriously. And so as someone who was herself very repressed and very body armored, right. I recognized early on that I, you know, I, you know, my parents did leave me breadcrumbs to pick up about meditation and about mindfulness and about breathing and about, you know, making your own path. And I, I early on, I knew that I was quote unquote repressed. I knew that I was body armored. I could tell because I could, I said, you know, look at your breathing. I couldn't breathe past my second rib. You know, I, I just knew that I had a lot of that in me. But my father also told me about something called primals and that sooner or later it will come out whether you want it to or not. And uh, so instead of you know digging into it, jumping into it and trying to find it through therapy, I knew that eventually my ship would catch up with me and and you know truth truth would, would hold out. Uh, so I, I, I had a lot of intellectual understanding of emotional processes before I had emotions. So where do you think the armoring came from if your parents oh, so were so relaxed? They weren't. They were trying desperately trying this and trying that and trying this and trying uh, okay, that. But they, they didn't they didn't find it until I was already born and a child. So I still got I got the f- I got the, you know, I still had the early childhood that I had right. while they were desperately, they were from full crisis mode. And you drop a, a baby into a marriage and family in full crisis mode, you know, things just, just get dropped. And no, they, were no they malice. in crisis when your siblings were born or no. was this a phase? No, this, this is the, my, my siblings were born before the blacklist. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's it triggered by the political right, they, issues. Well, the, 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 my father losing his job right. and my yeah. mother having to go become a full-time breadwinner right, back right. before 20 years before that was fashionable. So it just, you know, it just sets up, it sets up, you know, it sets up things within the marriage and, and your role as husband and wife and man and woman. And, and, yeah. I, and I, I even, I even have my own idea of how that, how that happened. I believe that I, they conceived me in a moment of, you know, wonderful, relaxed connection on a, on a, on a rare camping trip out and uh-huh. just had that moment of, oh yeah, you, hey, hi. And, but when using condoms, you don't get that moment quite then. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all good. And here I am. So I understood before I, I had a lot of pieces to work with. Yeah. So body armor, orgone energy, and then going into labor and delivery and natural childbirth, the, the, and the, and the honoring women's bodies, women's bodies are strong, and so nature is wise, and the, the whole idea of the crone. I mean, so all these ideas we're putting out there, and, and I picked the ones that worked, that, that, yeah, okay, I get that, that, that fits in my, fits in my quiver. And when the most important thing about, and Betty Dotson, of course, in her book, uh, Liberating Masturbation, a seminal work, uh, was with natural birth, 
assuming a healthy pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera, is going to take the time that it takes. So we're just going to hang out here. You can't force it. You can't shame it. You can't make it feel guilty. The body knows what it needs to do. And we're going to walk with you. We're going to chant with you. We're going to rub your back. We're going to put you in the shower. We're going to get you in the hot tub. We're going to feed you ice cream. We're going to rub your feet. We're going to chant some more. We're going to just totally sit here and honor your body and support you woman to woman while it does what it has to do. We all, it knows what to do. Hmm. If we just don't get in its way and get all butthurt over it, your body will do what it has to do and we'll have a baby. Right. And and so that bone deep utter respect for the natural process as and having no ego around it. So then when I started attaching that to learning how to become orgasmic a la Betty Dodson and getting into my body and the bone deep uh, feminist idea that if it's consensual, it's okay. So if it's consensual and I'm having mind thoughts about it, that's my mind talking to me. It doesn't make it true. If it's consensual, then I have to deal with my shit around it. And that was something else I started very early on having a very strong ethical commitment to just if I know that it's consensual and I'm still tweaked out over it, handle it. Hmm. Handle it. Because right. it's not about they having to quit something. It's about me handling it, it, it. It's a trigger. Everything's a mirror. I like right. that about Buddhism. Yeah. So if I have a strong emotional reaction to something that I'm seeing, that's on me. Yeah. I don't get to say, you stop that. You stop that right now. And so I was learning about my body and learning how to really just choose the pleasurable moment over the shutting off moment. And it's how it took me 10 years to learn how to have an orgasmic peak that lasted more than a quarter of a second. So, so just my whole learning to reorient my whole relationship to physical pleasure was like therapy. Right. Because as kinesthetic memory, everything that ever happened to us is still in our body, in our body memory. And as we learn to soothe ourselves with pleasure, with, or with, with, you know, erotic bliss and pay note to what roadblocks come up and what images come up when your breathing stops, your jaw clenches or the pleasure drops away or whatever, there's the insight, there's the teaching, there's the learning, there's the therapy. So just keep going toward pleasure. Consensual pleasure is never wrong. Mm -hmm. Consensual pleasure is never wrong. Never. I believe that. And consensual also meaning appropriate and, and for person, place, and time, and, you know, consent. <laughs> and so if it's consensual, it is always all good if we can just permit ourselves to have that. And so learning how to do that took 20 years, and that was an insight, you know, insight there. It's a process that's still ongoing with me now. So I approached sex pleasure the same way I approached labor mm -hmm. sensations, that as long your body needs what it needs to have an orgasm. It needs this kind of stimulation for this length of time in this particular location for this particular duration at this particular frequency until it's done. It's this final cord reflex. You tickle it until it sneezes. It doesn't, it's not about good or bad or right or wrong. It's like this organism needs this stimulation and this organism needs this stimulation for it to have the hysterical paroxysm. So as a nurse and a scientist, <laughs> I find this fascinating. I find, yeah. so it just as I would minister to somebody in labor, I like to minister to people who are having pleasure or are learning to accept pleasure. Have you ever worked with a woman who had an orgasm while delivering a baby? I'd love to. I think that's so awesome. I totally get it. Yeah. My ex-girlfriend told me uh, when she had her child, she felt orgasmic. 
I don't remember if she actually said she had an orgasm or she, uh, it was a long time ago, but I remember her saying a lot of what you're saying is like all this, uh, seeing it, she's Puerto Rican and, and, you know, she comes from a different right, tradition right. and, and where the idea was, Hey, this is going to be fun. This is going to feel good and it's, awesome. you're not going to die. And, you know, it's not a medical crisis. It's, not, it's, yeah. it's a great moment in your life. And how know? nice for a Catholic country to have people in it that have rejected the idea that labor pain is a punishment from God for Eve's transgression. Let's not get there. Yeah. So, so for me, you know, so when I started stripping at nursing school and I started making movies in my junior year and I went into movies full time after I graduated, um, in our culture, sick, in our culture, sexuality is sick and yeah. sick people need a nurse's care. Uh, and so, uh, my parents' teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said, uh, oh, you don't sure. have... the great... The great... The great Zen Suzuki, teacher, yeah. The great, the great Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, is the founder of my parents' temple. Uh, um, and he said, you don't have to save the whole world to shine one corner of it. Right. And so, it's all of us, all, all of a piece for me, because when I was coming to sexual awareness, um, my parents, that's when they were still struggling with sexuality within their marriage. That's when the Reikian therapy and the, and the, they were really working the therapy thing, really trying to trying to come to some understanding around sex around their sex their issues around sexuality and then um i was going somewhere with that damn it uh mm. and so 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 i might and one thing about buddhism of course it's about compassion and so i I understood that sexuality could be an area of inquiry and with my own journey and the pain I've seen people, I know that sexual pain is as real as any other kind of pain, oh, right, emotional right. pain, depression pain, the the pain of not being at ease in your skin. Right. Our birthright is to be at ease in our skin and up until we're two or three, we're totally at ease in our skin and then and by then the training starts to take effect and we are removed from being comfortable in our skin and we're removed into a place of aloneness and terror and fear and separateness shame. and insecurity and shame and yeah. guilt and all because I can't fit in my body and feel good with my hand between my legs which right. any two-year-old and three-year-old understands completely but, <laughs> but but between two and two and three the adults are having reactions to it yeah. slapping hands whatever right. whatever it is that they do right. and to remove the child from remove the, the they're instead of instead of using the child as a mirror and going wow I wonder why that's affecting me I don't want to pass my shit on to my child. They pass the shit on to the child by slapping, shaming, whatevering that they do. And we're talking about non-abusive parents, parents who would never sexually harm their children. We're talking about, quote unquote, normal parents. And so, again, um, adults are, and because so many of us get stunted at very young ages, when our sex triggers are pushed, we are instantly back to being three, four, five, eight, ten years old. And then we're interacting with a partner from a child space. And... Mm. Because in our culture, sex is all about love. If you love me, you'd know what I need. If you'd love me, you'd give me what I need. If you love me, you'd know what I want. And here I am, a four, six, eight, ten-year-old screaming at my partner, mentally or f metaphorically or truly, um, and not recognizing that I have just dropped 40 years off of my age. And I, cause I have not handled that child. I have not taken care of my child. Yeah. I have not handled my shit. And so and, now and your partner's calling you baby. It, or, 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 or the partner that he gets, he, they get triggered into whatever age their thing is. Uh -huh. And so, and so, too. and so we're taught that we're shamed away from our bodies 
So we cannot find comfort. We cannot self, self-soothe. We cannot just go, oh, yeah, oh. And then when I meet a partner, ooh, I like it like this. Mm. Why do you know? And so instead of going, really cool, thanks for telling me. Why do you know that? Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. You, right. you know, it, Don't it, tell it, me what to do. It, yeah, it, 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 just, it, just, it just goes off the rails in any, in yeah. any number of dyad ways because yeah. there's your mess up, my, your fucked upness and my fucked upness, right. and it mixes to be a completely new fucked upness. And then you get blah, blah, blah. So how can we stay still in the middle of all this? And I, as a healthcare provider, my job is to facilitate people's transition from fear to acceptance or from from clumsiness to mastery so they can so I can I my job is to help people feel at ease in their bodies right. to feel skillful to feel able to communicate their so needs this and is desires. explicitly what you're doing now this, this is, is what I've always education. done yeah. this is what that's I've what I was going to say it was implicit in your earlier work. Nina has always been open to the public Nina's always spoken um, about this because mm-hmm. I created Nina so that people would have someone they could come up to on the street just met me and go hey Nina I'm a big fan now about this thing I've always wanted to know and not have to pretend to you know need to hear about my day. I'm here to talk about sex. I'm here to to address any sexual concerns you have. If I don't have an answer, I know people who do. And if they don't have an answer, they can know where to send you because I have a really great group of friends. Carol Queen, Robert right. Lawrence, Reed Mahalko, um, right. you know, uh, the usual they, 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 but, but there, <laughs> Susie Bright, uh, sure. there we, this is our thing. This is a ministry that we'll, we're called to, and right. I don't mean I, I'm, I'm not a believer. I certainly I believe that God, man created God, not the other way around. But there is, but what is true about the human animal is the way that the midbrain processes things, and when there's a certain by manipulating the body in certain ways. A state of bliss, transcendence, oneness, no boundaries, astral travel can be triggered. You can do it through fasting, sleep deprivation, praying, davening, twirling, spinning, beating drums, dancing, 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 crawling up a hill on your knees to look at the Virgin Mary in a tree trunk, um, psychedelic drugs, or erotic pleasure, which is so handy, dandy, portable. Right. Oh my gosh, yeah. I have an arm. Oh my gosh, it's there it is. It's just so yeah. fantastic. And so I, that's why I promote, um, oh, and sprinkle, golly, I promote sexual, m- conscious and deliberate sexual cultivation of erotic comfort with, uh, I push that on everybody because your body cannot lie to you. That's also what I was told in the 70s when we were trying to trust our bodies. Your body can't lie to you. So whatever makes it feel good, you get to do and will take you to your best place. And I, people say to me all the time, wow, Nina, you're so cool. I could never be like you. And I say, of course, anybody can be like me. Because like me, air quotes, is a person who has done their work to become comfortable in their in their skin with whatever gets them off and has lived and, and then lives a life that honors that in a way that is not cross ethical or moral boundaries. Now, have you crossed your own lines? Or, you know, have you found yourself in a position where you said, oh, whoa, this, I didn't, this isn't where I wanted to be either on a set or on a set, on a set twice in twice in 30 years. And that was also at the very beginning before I yeah. understood. Um, and the, wasn't it wasn't a terrible experience but it's like okay i get it um what since i become nina no i i nina's always had a very very what do you do if you apply boy scout rules to sex behavior are you prepared be kind uh, be generous oh, the whole be the whole, whole all, boy the, scout the whole, motto, all right. of them all of them right all of them we i do not use sex <laughs> to harm do not use sex to harm self for others right. do not you know do not 
do not use sex to harm self or others. And that's a choice that we have. And yeah. so I have hurt people in the past without understanding, without before I understood my responsibility in certain things, I would, Nina would be too casually sexual with somebody because for Nina, you know, sex, air quotes, is like a handshake. Right. Emotional intimacy, that's harder for me. And uh -huh. I keep that for a reserved few people. So I do have that in my life. But the act, action of sex involving genital something, that is like a handshake for me. But for me, I don't need my sex, air quotes, and my romance in the same place. And I've never needed that. And one of the reasons I love porn, one of the reasons I love my husband is that if I knew then what I know now, I would never have attempted monogamy. I sucked at it always. I ended up being a liar and a cheater always. I ended up feeling resentful, but I couldn't break up because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I would always get so mad that he would get butthurt over my interest in somebody else. It's like, what? I don't, I'm not interested in him to hurt you. Right. I'm interested in him because he's not you and he's, I'd like to try once. You know, and so I wasn't, I attempted relationships and they all it just uh, evolved. Um, it, uh, now, was this while you were working in porn? No, this was, um, I, no, normal high school. Oh, you're um, talking the yeah, adolescent yeah, stuff, right? Um, right. And I, I didn't start having intercourse until I was 18, um, and started making porn at 25. That's a six year period in there where I, um, where I wanted to, I, it took me a while to understand that you, couldn't just live the life in your head that, that it involved other people and and i didn't mm. my people skills sucked yeah. my fantasy life was great my people <laughs> skills and my ability to negotiate for myself my ability to set boundaries because i was also codependent so nina was created what would a feminist sex worker what a feminist porn star look like what would she say what would she believe so i constructed nina out of my authentic bisexuality my authentic non-monogamy my authentic exhibitionism my authentic voyeurism my authentic um entertainer need for attention mm. i'm not gonna lie they discovered that in stripping get this get this it's amazing that if you sit there with your top off your legs open men pay really close attention to what you're saying <laughs> it's astounding and since what i wanted to talk about was sex i had to go to porn because that's the topic that's right. why we're here and i people say why didn't you do regular movies it's like a don't have the talent didn't have the drive yeah. and i my my job is to what I'm interested in is the bits. That's what I'm interested in. And, and yes, culturally, socially, but more importantly, I love genitals because they are the hot wire to that part of your brain mm. that is most you. And I've learned to have very good, again, I can, and this is something, one of the reasons I had to stop being so casual with my sexual activity with people who are not already in my tribe as poly, queer, GLAT, swingers right. already that way is that because I, because through the manipulation of the nerve endings and skin stimulation combined with my intention, combined with their brain, I can make anyone who lets me see God without in any way being involved in the experience emotionally. I can manipulate the body machine and give you a God experience using just your body and people and be great and I'm happy to do it and grateful and it's all yours I don't, you don't know. okay we're going to take a pause here while I see God <laughs> <laughs> no but, but it, 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 it takes you know, it takes a while it can take you know, whatever it takes, it takes as long as the body takes to go there because you have to the person has to let me do it right. and we have to agree on where we're going etc cetera, etc cetera. but that I had a similar experience once and I realized even, even as I was having this transcendental experience and thinking wow if I had a God story this is what they mean when they say Jesus saved me. This is what 
they mean when I let God into my heart. Mm. Oh, this sensation experience is what people label who believe who have a God story label being saved, label feeling God's hand. Oh, so religion, I always knew religion was a construct that men had made, uh, humans had, had created. But now I realize that uh, for people who are not sexually oriented like I am, they could get to that same place through praying in groups, mm. um, group emotion. So for me, group religious emotion has, I don't do a religious emotion, but I get worshipful and reverent when I am faced with a person offering me their body. I'm so honored. I'm so delighted to be there. You have to respect the body and, and, and you res, and you res, so when I am confronted with a vulva, that is, that's God's vulva. And if I'm confronted with a penis, that's God's penis. That's just, I, cause I just really do love them that much because they are attached to that part of us that makes us feel most alive and most connected. And for me, so my behavior, I believe ethical and moral because I make sure that I stick with people like myself. We understand what we're here to do. I'm not lying to get you to do it. I'm not applying with drugs to get you to do it. More importantly, I'm not doing it for my ego because I can't. Mm. Um, so do not, you know, it's a great power. So do not use it for, do not use it for evil. Don't be a douche. Right. Um, because in our culture, sexual women have a very openly sexual women are, are either to be feared or revered. It's just, it's rather, yeah. um, it's rather sad, although common. So when your book came out, it was like, yeah, yeah, yes. What he said. Yes. I knew it. I knew, I knew it. I always felt that. Yes. See, see. So it's such a validation. And all my friends who Carol, all the friends I have who are like me, read, they all were validated by, because you weren't coming at it to validate us. Right. This is what the data showed you. Yeah. This is what, this is what you looked here and here and here and here and here and here. And this is, this is a this seems to be the most practical story. You know, why on earth do we have loud orgasms? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, uh, <laughs> so I, I just, I just, I, I, when I first read about sperm competition, you know, and I, I just love it. And I, bef in before I heard about the gibbons. So gibbons are true monogamous creatures because unless it's mating season, they don't have sex. Right. But they're pair bonded. Totally get that. I just totally, totally get that. So then people would say, Nina, God, you guys are like animals. It's like, no, if we were like animals, we would have sex for three weeks a year. Right. Yeah. And then we wouldn't, you couldn't, you could not get it, convince us to do it. So, so we're not like animals. Yeah, Most animals, animals have a mating season. by us. Animals have mating seasons. Yeah. You know, where it's appropriate to do this and then when it's not. Yeah.
Although I do like that, I think most animals are not um, forcibly in harems. So you, you watch the elk. He has a har- harem of, 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 of does, but he climbs on top of once he walks away. You know, <laughs> he can't, he can't, unless you're an elephant field, you can't make him do it. Yeah. You know, and I read a book years ago, you probably know it, um, uh, female sexual evolution and female sexual selection and basically the, the bottom line you know going again challenging Darwin and the idea of the passive female and the active male mm. it's like the bottom line in your book you know on page 50 Darwin says your mother's a whore oh, you know right. well basically you know why do rams have, have such big horns because chicks dig it <laughs> you know why do quetzalcoatls have those long tails because chicks dig it, and right. going into human males, they do a lot of they do a lot of showing off, hoping a chick will pick them. Right. And what I'm so grateful about being a woman in the West is, in our culture, unless I say yes, sex with me is illegal. And so, what I what I also want to tell women is, own your shit and don't don't be a dick about it. If you have 20 hoops that he has to jump through before you will let him have be naked in bed with you, know what they are sweetly share them don't have to be a doormat don't have to be a bitch but share them and let him make the decision to go you know what you are worth 20 hoops you are absolutely worth 20 hoops i i shake hands on it and then if he does you gotta you gotta go through with your end of the bargain right and <laughs> you know whatever whatever that know know what your hoops are right know what the prerequisites are for for you to allow someone into it and say that in the first couple of dates mm. so don't throw it in it and, and then he and then he gets to say hmm you know Mm, I don't think so. Or, you know, wow, finally, a girl who wants to wait or whatever. But the whole idea that if I talk about it, 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 it puts me down. It's like, I don't have time for bullshit. It's like, we are compatible or we're not. Right. So when I met, when I, you know, I met my husband in 89, if I knew then what I know now, what I'm going to hone to my exes and said, 60 days, good for you. Um, cause I was living in a triad marriage and unhappy. Uh, and so I knew one of my prerequisites when I became single was that I would, not made again with a man who was sexually possessive. Uh-huh. Absolutely not. Right. I'd have cats and lovers. Cats yeah. and lovers, you know, and I'll get emotional need A from you, I'll get emotional need B polished from that person, and, and just I will just be more emotionally independent and, and screw the codependent thing. Of course, I find one of the few men who utterly has no jealousy. Good for you. Yeah, which is awesome. And so we, yeah. and, and interestingly enough, we were rather, even though I have close emotional friendship with other people and I do share some emotional things with partners other than my husband that the, he, this is not his trip. We, he and I pretty functionally emotionally monogamous. And for the first time ever, I have a man in my life that I see every day that I n- am never tired of having sex with. Now that blows my mind. And how, how long has that been going on? 12 years. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Crazy, wow. and you know, for me, if I like you, I like you four times a year, forever. <laughs> you know, any, anytime yeah. you come into town, hot date, guaranteed, right, absolutely right, on. Right. And other than that, have a great life, and yeah. I'll see you next time you come through town, um, or a whole bunch in a weekend. And that was really great, thank you. And there's no more here for me to see. You ever read the unbearable lightness of being? No, Milan Kundera. No, I haven't. It's it's quite interesting, and it's a good film too. Um, Daniel Day Lewis and uh, I've heard. I've, I remember Julia when it came Binoche. out. It really, it really 
blew a lot of people's lights out. Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, the the book is very much about. I think you'd find it very interesting, actually, because it's very much about male female relations and how men and women see things differently and how that plays out in relationships. But the whole book takes place in Prague during Prague Spring. Oh my! So it's also so it's what what's going on is you've got the central um, figure Tomas, who's a brain surgeon, I think, who's recently divorced, and he's basically said that's it no more you know monogamy can't do it can't do it and he's got a lover sabina who's an artist and they really understand each other and really just get they click really well together and they're both avowedly non-monogamous right and then tomas meets this woman and she basically plays the vulnerability card with him and worms her way into his life and he's a good guy and he doesn't want to hurt her and she's got nowhere else to go and it's this whole thing so he's sort of caught between these worlds and he's thinking about the joys of freedom but also the intangibility of freedom and and the 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 pleasures of security but the weight of so that's the unbearable bearable lightness of being oh cool right so that the lightness is unbearable but Mm -hmm. the weight is also Mm -hmm. you know cool so it's really and and as that's all playing out of course on the micro level in in their Mm -hmm. lives it's also playing out on a macro level as they're they they flee the russian tanks and get to switzerland and then you know and then it's all like wow this is we have freedom here, but freedom for what? And, you know, we, there's so many more problems and so much more to think mm. about. It's really fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. No, that is. And it's, and it's true. Um, you know, the, you know, you've seen it as healthy non-monogamy and unhealthy non-monogamy. It's sure. just, obviously, it's yeah. about personal integrity and how do we conduct ourselves in relationship. And I, I'm still learning how to... Self-knowledge. Which is yeah. so important, which Oof. you could only... You can be in therapy for years and years and years or... You can bypass all that money, get Betty Dotson's book and a couple others, <laughs> and and on your own, at your own pace, yeah. recalibrate your personal relationship to erotic pleasure until yeah. you are completely comfortable in a room all by yourself, dancing in front of a mirror, and put your hand between your legs until you feel really good. And with no guilt, no shame, whatever, and whatever that, ta- I don't know what that takes. I don't, I don't know how long that will take you. I don't know what it will require. I don't know what you'll have to confront. I don't know what demons you'll have to slay, but you cannot be present to yourself until you can be alone with yourself right. and happy in your skin and breathing deeply into your abdomen. Right. There's just no other way. And going back to the natural body connection that we have as children three or younger and you know all babies are born naturally sensual they're born naturally completely at ease in their bodies and it's trained out of them by the culture and boys are trained in one way away from their comfort zone girls are trained another way i always say that women have been amputated from their clits and men from their hearts Hmm. you know boys only want one thing you know girls need to have more you know i know that i definitely and also part of the reason i became nina is because no one is upset when nina says so you want the hand job or not and Mitzi saying that, it's like, dang, girl, what? <laughs> you know, right. so I was just, I like, what I like about being a sex professional is the fact that it can be that cut and dried with me. Right. And, and, and the person can't get upset of him that cut and dried because, dude, I'm a pro. That's we're on the set. Yeah. We're, on the, we're on the set. What do you hate me to do? What do, you, what do I never do to your body? Right. Okay, good. And what do you love? Excellent. Right. That's all I need to, and, I'll, and I'll make it fun. I just need to know what, you know, it's like uh, putting, building the, the, the fences of a, of a playground. 
So when I'm negotiating sex with somebody, what are your hard limits? What are the places you want to go? What are you not sure of? I see the same thing. We cobble together the fences, and then we jump the, the or the MMA fight or whatever, and we and, and we we make the boundaries. We agree to abide by them, and right. then we go as then we let go as far as we are able to that day without running into the fence. Yeah. And some days you can really get a good lift off. And it's like, wow, I never thought I could, you know, you feel really free for like five minutes straight before bullshit starts happening again. Five minutes of flight. Awesome. And so I love that about sex, consensual sex plays, because through sexuality, we, we can recapture the giddiness of childhood, of rolling down a hill, of hide and seek and pursuit and capture games take on a whole new meaning. Mm. You know, when, when the loser gets buggered, <laughs> you know, and I have a strap on for just that purpose. Um, and so, and, but I also like about it is because you ever skied or parasailed, you know, so you know, yeah. you know, green circle, blue square, black diamond. Oh, the, the, sure. The so, um, danger. Well, yeah, yeah, so, you know, most of us in, in Buddhism talk about being asleep versus being awake. So most of us walk through life asleep, or that's the, the, the green circle. Just, you know, not taking too much effort, going down the hill, when your hair, hey, not, hey. And then there is the black diamond, double black diamond, we're gonna die! <laughs> okay, so somewhere between awake and panic, yeah. where no learning can take place. And you're not present to yourself. You're asleep or you're panicking and you're just trying to not, you know, right. break your neck. Yeah, yeah, there places, is there is yeah. a place that is just scary enough that you're totally present. Mm-hmm. You're completely there. You're totally awake. Your ears are pricked. Your eyes are open. You're, you're not freaking out. You're not going to say, okay. So with sexuality, I can create a situation that scares me just enough to be alert and present for just as long as I need to be alert and present. I can ratchet it up a little scarier. I can ratchet it down a little less scary. I can, I can fine tune how, how scared do I want to be for how long? I love that. And you don't need drugs for that. You don't need it because, you know, because it's easy to mistitrate your alcohol consumption or whatever. So I like, I like sexuality because also that's also self-regulated. You can do that alone. And, and confront your fears all alone. You don't have to expose yourself to another person. You can do it all by yourself until you figure out what am I about? What are, what are things that I, you know, who am I? And so when I sit to negotiate with a potential mate partner, I know what to say. Right. You know, um, you know, at the very beginning of this, you said something I found very interesting. You said it might have been easier when you were a, a child if you had been gay in the sense that you would have had a name for right. what was different about you, right. you know? And that's, I just gave a TED talk two weeks ago, you know? And one of the things I said in the TED talk was, we all have closets we have to come out of, right? And the problem with being straight. It, well, the, you know, one of the problems with being straight is, and I don't mean to minimize the difficulties mm-hmm. of no, not no, being no, straight, of course. Of course. Um, They're different. But, yeah, it's like you think you're normal, so you can just float through life. You can exactly. just go down the, the green circle the whole time. You, you're not challenged with anything saying, hey, who the fuck are you? Because you're not what you're playing to be, right. what you're pretending to be. So you can be, so my husband is heterosexual, not straight. How's that work? Meaning his, his desired partners are feminine women, biological women, right. um, but he is kinky. So his identity, oh, okay. his identity is leather. Right. He is non-monogamous. Oh, I see. He's okay. non-monogamous, dominant leather guy. So straight isn't just another word for heterosexual. Straight's for, yeah, well, he, mainstream as well. I guess. Right, exactly. Right, so right. I, so straight, straight is too, he, he, he's heterosexual. 
Right. But the rest of him is, you know, Kinky is an anteater's nose. Um, he's, he's, you know, when you see the room in the back, it's, 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 it's we're, we're Kinky to the core. Kinky as an anteater's nose. Okay. Yes. That's going into and, the And, um, so, you know, as I was saying earlier, how I, I say, sexually speaking, I'm, I am a stem cell. My husband is a virus. He is super, super. <laughs> I should super, be wearing a mask for no, this. No, he is super evolved to the, be the exact best example of what he is. Uh-huh. P-O-K. Perfect he, of a kind. Perfect of a kind. Yeah. He is, if, if having the, the feminine, submissive experience is something you're interested in, my guy is the <laughs> well, best. I got, a guy for I, you. I got the guy for you because he is a dominant <laughs> dude that just, he, for that experience, man, oh man, oh man, he is so good. Oh right. my God. Oh my God. Um, and you don't have to take him home or keep him or take care of him. I do that. You, I'll, I'll, you know, you can borrow <laughs> no him. For, maintenance contract. No, no, you can, no, you can borrow no. him for a couple of hours. You could be in at four, out at seven and never come back again. But wow. you know, if you want, if you want to go dance that dance, my guy happens to be an excellent friend Ladies, of Ladies, if, if that, if send an you know, email, I'll no. put you in touch. Um, and obviously dominance get to say no too. So the other, other attractions have to be there, but so, so going back to the whole thing, monogamy thing, and I, and I, every time I think about this, I'm flabbergasted that I have found the same man sexually attractive for 12 years. Uh-huh. It's, but I realize now that in my, my kinky side, I have vanilla side and I have kink. I have a vanilla lover who is just a regular guy, a regular guy I've known since high school, and he's a regular guy. And I love him and I love what we do together because it's just so quote unquote normal. He is, he is, as, as they say, a normie. So n- normal is like yeah. exotic from no, no, your perspective. No, the normal normal is another facet of my sexual makeup. Yeah. So you know, if if my if my some people are, are multifaceted jewels inside, some people are cabochons, and he is more of a quasi cabochon. You know, he's he's a bit hugging and kissing. Like? Hug, no, oh, but I, but I, he's so good at what he's so he's so he so likes what he likes. You, you cannot help be good. Vanilla is, is a awesome. delicious, delicious. No, it's, flavor. actually, good vanilla is my favorite flavor. I mean, <laughs> yeah. of, 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 of <laughs> it's a little embarrassing when I came to that realization. I really no, like vanilla ice cream. I do too, and yeah, no, I, I totally do too, and and but I realize I I. I'm sexually sophisticated and I couldn't be a completely undiet vanilla. But yeah. when I, when I want it, I go to my friend cause he's such a, he's such a good, he's such the best. He's awesome. And we have a long history together. He knows yeah. me from my first before Nina. So he's just, he's just a great guy. And the, uh, and so my, so when I came into my kink, um, one of my kinks certainly is the, uh, I grew up going to, the, to work in the Renaissance Pleasure Fair from age 10 to age 18 mm. during the 70s, during mm. the height of, of the wild sexual revolution. And so, um, you know, some of my fetishes, kilts and kilts, corsets and cleavage, wenches, um, swashing and buckling, raping and pillaging, you know, um, and uh, bodice ripping the, the whole bit. So that, that inter- wenching, wenching, you know, so all what, that. What is wenching? Is I know what just, a wench is, but what's Well, wenching, wenching is going and getting yourself some wenches oh, and it, wenching it, with them. It, it, <laughs> And pillaging, or, or just you know, slap and tickling, uh-huh. or just you know, just lusty women who who do not pretend to be ladies. That they like they like dick, and you like pussy, and then let's talk. <laughs> you know, let's have a glass of meat and get on with it. So, um, and I love and I love women like Chaucer. That. It I, like I, did, I, did, I, did, I did. I did. I love wenches to this day. Uh-huh. Um, but I realized so, that I, part of that part of my, yeah. my, my one of my primary sexual fetishes is the stranger. Uh-huh. And because what's nice for me is feeling a, ma- a new man's hands on me for the first time and feeling his, 
his 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 key or his yang just coming out through his hands and just it's like I just love that. I don't know why I love that. Um and and so because my husband's primary sexuality is enigma to me. I'm not natively dominant. So I'm not natively kinky. I'm not natively BDSM. I'm mm. natively, ooh, what do we have here? Right. Ooh, what do we have here? Ooh, what do we have here? Ooh, what's this? I'm like, ooh, who are you? So he's always a stranger to me because I, I can never get into his head. Uh-huh, Our I dance see. is lovely. We have, we're both sex professionals and for, for many, many years. And I know how to play the role of submissive. Right. And still remain myself, and he and he he's he's fully himself. So what what I want my partner always to be as fully themselves as they can be that day, right? Whatever that is, as fully present as they can be that day. And some days that means I get to be the leader, other days it means I get to be the passenger. And he is so good at being himself. It's interesting because the way you describe yourself, it sounds. Uh, from where I'm sitting, it sort of sounds like a very submissive thing because what you're doing is you're shaping yourself to what you find in that person. It but it comes so naturally to you be, that it's it, not. It, it, it can be the submissive if it's a DS situation, but it's service oriented. Right. So if I wasn't a sex person, I could totally see, um, um, you know, uh, being a caretaker in a primate house, or doing animal rescue, right, or right. or or you know, if I or, or you know, if I was religiously oriented, I would certainly I would be a a nun and serve the poor. I mean, I, I I'm 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 here to be of service, and so sexually, I'm here to be of service to you sexually because I have no judgment about what your trip is. Right. I have no need for you to save me, take care of me. I'm here completely for you because I have people in my life who that part of me gets to have. Right. I have someone in my life who takes care of me emotionally and sexually, and so I am not looking to you to suck. I'm not looking to be a vampire. I'm not looking to push you in a certain direction. I don't need anything from you except to be as present as you're able to be at this day. Yeah, for as long as you're possibly able to do it. Right. Five minutes, an hour, whatever that is. And so, yes, it, it is. You, it you're is. like a religious person. You're, you're like yeah. uh, it, I, 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 it, it is. Put it is. them in touch with God, whatever that means to whatever them. Whatever that means right? to them. And yeah. this is where my mother. It's and going back to my mother, you know, she really doesn't. You know, she doesn't like. She, she's uncomfortable with what I do, and she says, "I see. I see that you're a really compassionate person. You're, you're the most compassionate one of my children." So, and I learned that because I learned what had been missing in my childhood, which had been missing in her childhood, which was a compassionate maternal presence during those crucial first years, and and the effect that has on a person's development. And because my sexuality, my compassion is flowing towards sexual pain. If my sexual attitude hadn't been so queer, it might have flown, flown, f- flowed through, through religious service or right. or traditional medical service of being a social worker or right. you know a, a public defender. If I've been into legal, you know, just so I'm here to be of service, and because but my queerness means okay, sexual service is where exactly that's my most enduring interest. That is, and I really worked hard on getting rid of judgment of consensual behavior. Most people have never met someone who's truly non-judgmental about whatever your trip is. Hard limit for me, obviously, kids, poop, blood, animals, death. The end of the big five. But um, I'm not against scat play. I just don't want to engage in it with you. But hey, you find someone to work with that? Rock on. I don't do blood play, um, but I know people like doing cuttings and piercings, and I'll witness that. I'll hold the tray, but I'm not interested in, 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 in doesn't do much for me. Yeah. Seriously speaking, doesn't do much for me. Um, uh, animals, animals, Nina miners, Harley miners. Tony Soprano. You know, you know, miners, of course. <laughs> dead people, of course. Animals, of, so so. 
So, I, but I, so other than that, I am pretty, I'm okay with consensual non-consent if everyone understands what's going on there. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, understand that you can, I give everyone complete mental freedom. Some of my fantasies are either, you know, illegal, immoral, or against the laws of physics. But I don't try to make, I don't, I, I don't, I don't try to make them real, so I don't care. It, it's, it's in my head. Uh, what so, do you think about this cannibal cop that was just convicted in New York? Talk about fantasies not made real. Um, there are some, there are some things that, that, you know, that squeak me out. It's like, really? Squeak? That, that's, wow, that's a really rare one. And I don't know how, I, don't know how real he was intending on making it. Yeah. Um, and but that's the whole thing in Germany, uh, where the guy, with the guy, the guy who was convicted said, "But I have a letter from him giving me permission." It's like, and as my husband says, you know, you cannot abrogate, you know, legal precedent by mutual agreement. I cannot actually agree to let you. I cannot agree to let you sell me to somebody else. Right. I cannot agree to let you kill me, even though I, I totally want to die. And I say, I want you to do it, Chris. You, yeah. That, and I, I'll sign a contract. I'll get it notarized. It's like, no. It's not. Well, you can in Oregon, right? If, Wonder, and, and which, I mean, obviously, I, just as I believe in, euthanasia. you know, full reproduction, re reproductive justice, I believe in full end of life yeah. um, justice. It's like, for, it really is your life. And, I know that going on completely off off tangentially here. Um, if you want to end your life, I really, after helping you look at it from every angle to make sure that really is the right thing for you to do, and you're not hysterical or you know right. withdrawing from drugs or whatever. Right. Who am I to say it's not the right thing for you? And yeah, I'll be sad and I'll miss you, and you're really good, but it's not my life. You know, I'm driving over here. I was listening to a story on NPR and. They were talking about uh, suicide by gunshot and how two-thirds of all the gun deaths in the U.S. are suicides, right? Wow. Yeah. And that's on top of all the accidental deaths and murders. Yeah. Could yeah. we lose that many people a day to gun violence and of the drive-by? Oh, wow. Right. Um, and you know what state has the highest suicide rate in the country? Blew my mind. Wyoming. One of the highest suicide rates in the world. Huh. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe a lot of veterans live there. Yeah, and maybe uh, I don't know if there are a lot of American Indian reservations because oh, I know sure. they have very high alcoholism. But that's usually that's usually suicide. you know that's usually suicide by drinking. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, but anyway, the the story I was listening mm. to, it, it, they were talking to a doctor who had a patient who was started seeing him when he was in his seventies. He was very he was in uh, Colorado. He's very fit. He climbed and you know hiked all the time and stuff. And then in his and they became good friends. And then uh, it, the guy's in his mid eighties, and he started having a series of you know degenerative problems, both mentally and physically, and so on. And uh, eventually, he killed himself. And the doctor was talking about how guilty he felt that he didn't, you know, ask him about any guns in the house and they should have taken the guns away and they, you know, should have done all this stuff. I think if a guy in his mid 80s doesn't have the right to shoot himself, who the hell has any right to do anything? Thank you. Thank you. It's Thank ridiculous. you. It, yeah. Just, you know, don't, don't leave me. It's like, it will suck when you're gone. And I will grieve. But you know what? It's, it but sucks it's when you're life. here if you're in complete pain Thank and you. suffering Thank anyway. You. And, so. you know, it, yeah. I send the same thing to, to humans who keep their companion animals. Right. It's like, 
put the animal down, right. grieve for two months, and go to the rescue and, go on and get, and a new get one. another one, right? Because there's no, one sitting no, no. There I hear now. I hear yeah. about joint replacement for animals and 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 and, and chemotherapy and dialysis, and that's like yeah. no, no, right. no. We have starving children in this country. No, seriously, seriously. Talk about first world problems. Right. And I know I have friends who are that way about their animals. And if they hear this, they'll be so upset that I'm saying this. I just think it's <laughs> I think it's wrong. And the animal doesn't know that you're doing it for them. Well, and that's, also in the case of a cat, you know, I've got cats. Would that cat give a shit no, if but, it were but, me? And they they and, 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 and then there's that exactly they need you if they could um, and, and I love cats oh my gosh yeah. you know and, yeah. and, and my, my cat died when she was 21 I mean I did, yeah. absolutely so the um, the yeah no I agree but I think do you know who Peter Singer is I've heard he wrote Animal Liberation. He's a philosopher. Okay. I met him at TED as well. Oh, wow. um, great, is, is great he, schmoozing he, opportunity. He, he vegan. Uh, pretty, yeah, he's probably at least vegetarian. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but he wrote a book called Animal Liberation, which is a classic. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things he says in that book is, um, you know, we do all this uh, uh, testing, medical testing on chimpanzees and other higher primates yeah. who clearly are suffering and they live their entire lives in these cages. And it's just horrible what we're doing to them. And in many cases, the information we get isn't even applicable to human beings because of the 3% DNA difference or whatever. But on the other side, we've got kids who are born brain dead. They're not going to survive. And once you turn off the machine, they're not going to survive. Why not do these tests on them? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, with oh, no, the parents' no. permission, I'm, I, it would I'm, be medically far superior, the I'm, information, yeah, and nobody would be suffering, you know? But he got so much shit for no. even mentioning no, I, that. No, I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm someone who, who eats, who eats meat and animal products and where I wear leather. Um, but I, 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 I agree. That's why, that's why I'm not against embryonic stem cell research, um, as, as well, because life may start at conception, which I believe actually, because you get the two things together and you have a zygote, you have a zygote. But I don't believe in the soul. So, yeah, but what is life, right? The sperm well, cells are alive. Right. Exactly. So human life, so you're making, you're making, but it's a potential new human. How many, how many quote unquote abortions does God create each day when a woman miscarries? Well, Miscarriage, air quotes, right? Right. Um, And so, the and as someone who's not a God believer, I don't believe in the soul. And so, until it can live on its own outside my body, I get to say it's a parasite. I get to say what happens to it. So, what's that? Eighteen, nineteen years old. Boom, boom. <laughs> I'm outside of my body, um, and so that you know, these days they, they consider about 24 weeks. And oh, so, you breathe know, on its yeah, own. Yeah, you know, just okay. to, to 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 not need machines, and also the whole thing about you know why is unplugging the machine playing God, but plugging in the machine is not playing God. Right. Can you can yeah. you answer me that one? Yeah. I've never gotten a good answer on that. Well, I interviewed a woman recently. You'd probably really like her. her name's uh, Caitlin Doty. I think I've got her name right. Um, I haven't put, haven't, uh, I, I've got a big backlog of podcasts, so it hasn't gone out yet, but it will soon. And she's uh, a very open-minded, hip um, mortician. Hmm. So we talked a lot about death. death. And, and, you know, like one of the things I raised with her is what the hell's going on with people who spend $20,000 for a stainless steel, hermetically sealed casket? Who are they kidding? You know, what, what, what exactly are you stopping and for how long and why? You know, it's. Could we, you give an answer? Strange. No, she just laughed. She, she, we were talking about. We talked about it, all sorts of things, but, you know, there's a lot of overlap of sex and death, of course, course, you know, and, um, yeah, she's she's interesting. I'll I'll remind you. I'll send you an email when that one goes up. You might like to listen to that. She's well, the, um, my, my father, um, died, 
uh, two years ago this year, uh, 95 and a half. And uh, he'd been sitting on a Zen cushion since 1969, and um, you know, the batteries just wore down. He was his mind. His mind was him until the end, but his his you know. Oh, good for him. And so he was in hospice only a couple of weeks, um, and so it brought people brought people together. And I had the most wonderful experience of spending the last night. He was alive in bed with him. He was at that time. He was asleep the last three days. He was just breathing on. He wasn't taking water. He was just breathing on his own. We knew that soon it would just you know that would be that. So what turned out to be the last night of his life, I spent in bed uh, with him holding his hand because my niece and the baby were in the recliner. And then he died the next afternoon, so I got to help uh, wash the body and dress him in his priest robes. Mm. And um, they put some dry ice under him because um, he, he laid there for three days with some ice being changed uh-huh. out regularly right. so people could sit his eyes in, you know, for three days. Was this at the San Francisco this Zen Center? Uh, San Francisco, the uh, hospice on the next block. Oh. Um, it's a beautiful, fabulous place. Lovely old Victoria. Victorian turned into a hospice. And... Uh, and before you know, before before he slipped into unconsciousness, it was really nice just hanging around and talking with them and and um, and just you know because we knew was we knew it was over. It was and he was and he was fine with it. When he turned ninety, I joked with him and said, "Hey, Dad, you might live to be a hundred. He put me the bird. I mean, he just he was not half it. He made it to ninety-five and a half. What, is there any and, luxury greater than that than, you know, than to? To be so ready wonderful. to go when you oh, go. Oh, ready to go. Your family's you got to say goodbye to everybody. Yeah. And then I got to spend the first night of his death in the room with him so he wouldn't be alone so my mother could get some rest. I got some quality grieving in all by myself. And I really, um, and it was, you know, I'm a youngest, I'm a daddy's girl. It was a really great, I haven't cried since because I don't, I didn't, because also what, what Buddhism teaches you is when you fully experience a feeling, it doesn't have to come back. You let it go. And, feel, yeah. and when you, you don't repress feelings, you don't get over feelings, you, you resolve feelings by fully feeling them and going through feelings, or the feelings go through you. And all the problems in my life personally have come from my inability, when I was, my inability to hear them, my unwillingness to listen to them, and my inability to act on them. As, you know, all feelings want to be acknowledged. And if you're smart, if they whisper at you, you know, if, if I listened to the whisper, my first husband would never have moved in with me. But I hadn't been trained, I hadn't learned to trust myself enough to go, you know what, I'm going to listen to that. And I know you're going to give me a lot of, you know, song and dance, but no, I've changed my mind. You can't move in. I would have saved, I would have, my life would have been a completely different direction. I may never have made Nina or may have made Nina, but she would have manifested differently because I would have ended up probably meeting Carol and Robert and forming a tribe with them back in the mid eighties mm-hmm. because they're my, they're my tribe and my husband, my ex-husband and his girlfriend were not really of my tribe. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that etc etc so helping people learn to trust themselves enough to listen to that because instead of going hey nina you should really go now it ended up being the two by four you know with half my gray matter spattered on the on the on the on the wall going dude you really gotta go (laughs) you know now maybe you'll go and say oh yeah i think i'll go so the greeks say we we, we collude in our suffering until and you know until we die or or you know i i I suffered until it was either die or liberate myself right and so i had to hit what was for me my bottom before i realized oh i do want to save my life and the greeks say the gods lead him who will him who won't they drag i love that oh my gosh can i quote you on that the gods lead him who will him who won't they that's exactly true i'm stealing that from joseph campbell 
you yeah, know, the yes, I do. I do yeah, know Joseph yeah. Campbell. My God, every scriptwriter in LA knows Joseph Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Yeah. But it, but but you know, so I I don't I don't spend a lot of time in you know I, I know about the hero's journey and and the and, and why it res- why faces. why it resonates so well with yeah. everybody, and you know and um, as Suzuki Roshi said, we must all work dil- diligently for our own salvation. And so um, I worked diligently at my own salvation using the information given to me in the early 70s about the body being, you know, a good thing and pleasure being a good thing and learn about it and take responsibility for your orgasm. What does that mean? Take responsibility for your orgasm. That means you know, facing. A, sorry, go no, ahead. No, no. So, so it sounds so blithe. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. What sounds very American to me. No Spanish person would ever say it. It wouldn't occur to them or an African. You know? Oh, interesting. How interesting is yeah. that? How interesting. Because uh, I've got a very, you know, I've lived all over the world. I, I, this is the first time I've really spent any time in the States since Reagan. Wow. You know? Oh, my gosh. So it's, it's funny because it's my... Culture, culture, but I've been away so long that I come back and it's like, what is going on here? This is so interesting. Um, but like talking about orgasm, you know, all this research about, you know, 40% of women never have an orgasm. In That's America. American women. Yes. Yeah. You talk to Brazilians or Africans, they're like, what are you talking about? Don't have orgasms. And it gets into this body shame that you're talking about. So now, so then now, now talking, now speaking to the Western person, where in Africa are you talking? Because when we hear about people right, in Africa, good. we are here exactly. about female genital mutilation, we hear about the high rates of right. HIV, especially in South Africa, here with the high rates of rape, and that women don't have agency, and I have not heard about any culture in Africa where women have agency enough to have to have orgasms, and and I haven't heard I haven't heard of any culture in Africa that is to a point where women have the luxury of worrying about sexual satisfaction because they're still worried about birth control and getting their partners to use condoms. So yeah. do, do well, I'm talking about Mozambique, which is where my wife is from. And we, when I was researching sex at dawn, I, I came, you know, I was trying to make the point that this is very American, you know, right. and, uh, and she grew up in Mozambique and then she did her medical training in Portugal and then she went back to Mozambique wow. and worked seven years and, uh, in the bush, um, driving from village to village wow. in a pickup truck with awesome. some medical supplies and just treating whatever she found. Yeah. Wow. She was trained by Cuban doctors in That's Mozambique. Fantastic. She sounds like an incredible, incredible person. Yeah. She's, she's very, very interesting and she's she's like one of these doctors you don't meet especially in america like she diagnoses by looking at your fingernails and mm-hmm. your tongue mm-hmm. and your lips mm-hmm. and your eyes and the way you move and she'll smell your breath mm-hmm. and like you know oh you've got a liver thing you know whatever Far out yeah she's because they didn't have technology mm-hmm. right so you couldn't just send someone off for a cat scan you had to fit touch but powers of feel. observation yeah Actual doctoring, old style doctoring, Fabulous. right? Wow. Yeah. So anyway, she uh, she did research for the World Health Organization on uh, sexual behavior in uh, these African villages, um, and this was in the early days of AIDS. She's got some interesting things to say about AIDS. She thinks AIDS was around for a long time before anybody recognized it as a discrete syndrome, you know, and, and named it, you know, in Africa anyway. Um, but anyway, she I said to her like, you know. She, funny story will relate to this, kind of tangential, but uh, one night I was hanging out with her and a friend 
and the friend was making fun of me through her, you know? Mm -hmm. So he said, he said, oh, Casilda, you know, we were, we were smoking a joint. She mm -hmm. had never smoked a joint until she met me. She'd never had a drink. She'd yeah. like never done a lot right. of things till she met me. And he said, oh, Casilda, you're so innocent. You know, you were married a long time in med school and blah, blah, blah. Such a good little girl. You probably think Chris has a big dick. And she laughed and she said, oh, no, I've seen a thousand penises. And I said, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Have you seen it? I never heard this. What do you mean? And so when she did this this uh, research for the World Health Organization, she had to inspect a thousand penises and vaginas and vulvas mm -hmm. in, in Africa for, you know, different symptoms and whatever. Um, and she had personally measured and inspected, you know, hands-on a, a thousand African penises. Now, I don't remember what the hell that has to do with anything. No, but far out. Oh, oh, Mozambique. So, yeah. yeah, so that, you know, I said to her, well, how many, what, what's, what do you think the percentage of women who don't have orgasm in Mozambique is? And she said, I think, I think almost all women have orgasms in Mozambique. It's, it's women enjoy sex and they're not, now Mozambique is a special place. It's sort of, it's known as the Brazil of Africa. Okay. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, it's not like you're, you're North African. You've got, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of Islamic Stuff. shame and control and mm -hmm. all that. And South Africa, there's some pretty nasty sexual violence that you're familiar with, obviously. But Mozambique is a much more, it's a happy, laid back, friendly, good time kind of country. Oh, I didn't know that. Very interesting. Angola, which was the other right. Portuguese, Portuguese right, is brutal. Yeah. But the problem with Angola is they have oil. And it's so, so interesting to Western people. Right. So constant civil war. Yeah, and okay. yeah. yeah. No, I remember all that. Yeah. Whereas the riches of Mozambique are fish and fruit and coastline and, you know, it's vacation. not stuff you can export. vacation destination for Europeans. Yeah. And South Africans. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. It's, uh, I haven't been there. It's, it's South Africa's got a lot of beautiful places to go. <sighs> well, I mean, everyone I know who spent a lot of time in Africa, when the word Africa comes up, you can just see their face change. And they're just, mm. oh, Africa. You know? Mm. Oh. Wow. Because, I mean, with Casilda, it's constant. It's, you know, she, the smell of the fruit and the, the fish and the, like, it's just the sensation of being alive is so strong. I've, I've spent a lot of time in Asia and I, I relate a lot of that to India, you mm -hmm. know, the smells and colors and all that. But anyway, listen, before we wrap it, oh, I, I could go with you forever. This you're welcome so back interesting. anytime. Yeah, I mean, and we again can... to talk about Changenal, I just think today I'm going to let him ask questions and stay <laughs> on point. <laughs> but I, I just want to say yeah, again, I'm such a big fan of your book, and it's so oh, important. And I hope the feedback you're getting from from readers is as ecstatic as mine has been because it's really all going to say. My, my, my point, my, when I talk to people who are tr first tr trying to figure out, you know, you know, monogamy within marriage or, or swinging, I say read Sex at Dawn and talk about it. That and also and uh, Esther. Sarah Perel's book, Perel, Mating, Mating in Captivity, because yeah. what she says is true. So arrows exist in the distance between us. And so what makes arrows with right. my husband day in, day out, day in, day out possible is that there's always distance between us because his fundamental sexual nature is so different from mine. Right. We agree to meet so in the middle. So there's always mystery. Yes, there's always yeah. mysteries. And I and that's what I that's what I want. And for, and for him, um, due to the nature of his sexuality, 
kinky. Uh, and, and the people who are not kinky will listen to me say this and go, oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> and people who are kinky are going to go, oh yeah. And, you know, so he's always the mysterious stranger. And I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, the, the piece of meat he pulled out of cage number four. And um, so it's, you know, he's, he's very Minotaur-like. Uh-huh. And, and I get, and, and, and his chosen partner gets to be the sacrificial lamb. And for people who like that dance, he's Fred Astaire. Right. So he always makes every woman who goes there feel like ginger. So I've learned that submissive is not a personality type. Um, it is a role structure. I play from the submissive role and he plays from the dominant role. I'm also what they call switch. So I most often am in the top position because that's my nature and my, in my role in the world is to lead. Mm. But it's really nice sometimes to let somebody else as an even better driver drive the buggy. Yeah. And that's what I get. So with him, I always get to be, um, I always get to be a little swoony, which is just awesome because it's very hard. For, it's hard for me to find men who are confident enough in the face of such an experienced person to let the yang out, sure. let the yang off the chain. It's like I don't, and that doesn't mean brutal. It means you know passionate, but con, in, in, in control. It did, you know, it just let the yang off the chain. Yeah. I, I want to print up a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, um, I, I was I was with a, someone who is um, intergendered, uh, so he has a male persona, the photographer, and then he has a female persona when he's a uh, prodom and he has a genetic female friend and they prodom together but no no hormones no surgery or anything like that and we've been flirting for years and I'm not into feminine men but there's something about him so finally the last time we were together he was just dude enough to go so back to the sport fucking thing what is that sport fucking thing and I say well when I'm with a strange man what I want what I want is I want him I want his yang. I want, I want that. And so when we ended up making love that weekend after five years of knowing each other and sort of circling around it, it turned out to be the hottest, most passionate, sweet, hot, long high school makeout session with people who had more experience in high school. So instead of being fumbling at the end, it also ended with great mutually satisfying intercourse. Hmm. And yet was all sweet and kissy and, and it was hot vanilla. It was just smoking hot, hot vanilla. So smoking hot vanilla. <laughs> and because he, because I finally understood how to say to him what, so that his feminine side came out as being very patient and happy to be kissing for a long time and rubbing and grinding without rushing to get it into the hole. So that was his, that, that was his, the, that was his, his feminine aspect coming out, being patient with that. Yeah. But once it became phallus centered, Dude, he, he just took it to the man. He was awesome. It was like, far out. You're fun. Oh, my God. I would never have thought about, I would never have thought that of you five years ago. Because, yeah. you know, you were, had, you, I met him as female persona. It's like, I much prefer masculine femininity. So I like, um, I like butch women. If I'm going to feel submissive to a female, she has to be butch. I don't mm. feel submissive to femmes. So if I meet another femme who is um, also a topic like me, we have to find a third them who likes to be at, on the receiving end. Oh boy. You know, yeah. and, and then, and we know plenty, I know plenty of women who, the idea of being, you know, used and abused. Oh no, stop, stop, wait, I'll trip. Oops, I fell on my back. What's going to happen to me? No, no, ah, uh, uh, uh with, with women. Cause I, I, I love, you know, I got into porn cause that's where the naked women were, mm. you know, and without, cause I, I'm, when it comes to socially with women, I'm, I'm like a 14 year old boy. I don't know what to say. You know, I can't touch him. That's, that's, <laughs> That, that you have to you have to have more game than that. That, that. works really well. Right, it works really well. <laughs> Slap. It's like ah. So um, I, 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 I I love I love I love porn because at least again I'm not 
out of line for asking. Right. She can yeah. say no. I can take a no. Right. But I hate not being able to ask without her getting all butt hurt. Uh, and she can say no. I'm not into that. It's like it's cool. Yeah. You know, right. everything's mind. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> hey, have uh, you noticed? Uh, j- just to pick your brain a little mm-hmm. bit with because you've been in in that world for so long. I was talking to someone the other day, and she hypothesized that women moan differently now than in the 70s and the 80s. And there's like a there's an evolution of female copulatory vocalization in porn. We're talking about Japanese porn. Oh, sure. I don't know much about Japanese porn because they're always supposed to be hating it. Well, that, they, they, that, they, that, they, they all they always... moan like they're being hurt, yeah, which they're... I think relates to penis insecurity in the Japanese male. Um, they moan like it hurts because they're supposed to hate it. Oh, they're supposed to be, always have to be overcoming resistance. That's that's a, that's oh, the main trope for, yeah, for okay. Japanese hardcore right. porn. So certainly, um, you know, obviously before before porn got into the home via the via videotape, um, I I don't know a whole lot about it. I, it took me a long time to make noise strings that feel comfortable enough making noise strings. I think Dotson's very supportive of learning how to, you know, howl and groan and moan right. and, and really just, you know, from the belly. Rah, <laughs> um, and I used to be much louder. Uh, and then in porn, I certainly picked up some bad vocal habits just because I needed to, in the beginning, before I for the first couple of years, I was very, very repetitive. And as one editor said, Nina, next time, can you please think of something else to say besides, oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> he was as nice as he could be about it. But th- that was doing the, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so oh, yeah, oh, yeah, face. they don't dub? They don't overdub? They, not anymore. Uh, uh, once video started, they could get, they could get sound in real time. And they didn't, they didn't need to go back and do an, an, a moans and groans overdub anymore. So I only did uh, that a couple of times. You know, they dub, in Spain, they dub almost everything, right. including porn. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because... I know, I've seen myself speak perfect German. It was fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, what, what's funny about it is I uh, that there are... There's a small group of people who do all the dubbing. And so for... The same voice shows up. <laughs> yeah. No, so there's like... But in mainstream films, there's like the guy who does Woody Allen. And he all... Every Woody mm-hmm. Allen movie, mm-hmm. it's that guy, mm-hmm. right? So nobody... It's So they recognize it. But in porn, yeah, you end up with the same woman in everything. How it's hilarious. Like, that is so weird. That and, is hilarious. Yeah. That, that's actually quite funny. Yeah. Um, but I do think women who do watch a lot of porn, there's a lot of histrionics. I, I used to be more histrionic. Now, at home, my husband prefers a quiet sack. He, until, you, until you can no longer help but make noise, no noise making. We, we, don't, we don't play music. We don't, <laughs> right. you know, we don't have any soundtrack. It's just, you know, breathing and whatever natural sounds come up. Right. So I've learned how to, and also for me, I discovered that making a lot of noise was was taking energy out of my body and putting it into the room as opposed to breathing, working my Kegels, working energy internally because... Um, I have to, I still have to work to stay focused in my body because my right. brain is, you know, this, this ADD problem. So my orgasms, I rarely, uh, I have very strong orgasms and I inconsistently, but I'm rarely vocal anymore at home in private. In the movies, I've consciously changed my vocalizations to either be quieter, more breathy, and more nice description of what's going on. Oh, I love the way your, you know, your boss right. feels how it gets my clit, la, 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 la. Right. Um, but never, it's, you know, never fuck me harder or your boss, oh, cock oh, no, I don't do that anymore. So you yeah. de- I've had evolution in the 30 years I've been in front of the camera. I've had an evolution, 29 years actually. I, there's been an evolution of my performance style. I used to be much bigger and louder because I knew the guys at home couldn't touch me or smell me. 
they could only see me and hear me. And so right. I really, you know, made sure they understood that I really was having a good time. And and the reason I've had a good time is I didn't do anything on camera that I wouldn't do at home anyway for free. And so I always, again, you know, I, I understood that, um, you know, porn can affect, uh, media affects attitudes about certain things. I always wanted to make sure that they were watching women having an actual good time. So, so you can, you can, so, so you guilty feminist man can watch, you know, Hartley scenes and know I'm a feminist. I'm having a good time. You can jerk off to me completely guilt free because I'm not a victim. Right. And you can cross your heart, hope to die. And you can take any Candida Royale home movie home to your partner and let her know that woman run, directed, produced, edited, cast, scripted, you know, and, and no woman was harmed in the making of this movie because that's Candida's credo. Right. So, uh, so, and my fans are so, it's so wonderfully, even though they're not into, they're not into older women, they're into Nina Hartley. So I have fans now that I got when I was 25 who are now watching me at 54 and think I'm just awesome. And then they're the fans that didn't even start looking at me until I was 40 right. because their thing, their fetish is older women. Until I was quote unquote an older woman, they right. weren't interested, which right. is actually hilarious. Yeah. Did, did the whole MILF thing sort of start? The MILF thing started recent, about, right? actually about, um, in earnestness about six years ago, but it started yeah. trickling about 10 years ago. And people used to ask me, gee, why is that, Nina? What, what, what's the big, what's the deal on, on that? And I said, first, boomers are not giving up their sexuality. Right. Hell no. Cause we, you and I, you and I are very similar in age. We are not, excuse me. It's not our mother's 50. Right. Right. Yeah. And number one, number two, a lot of, there are a lot of, um, good, honest, not jerky men with daughters. And they realize this is creepy. I feel, I can't, I cannot watch young girls anymore. It's just too freaking creepy. Right. Um, and so, and then women of our age, go, um, not permitting movies or will let MILF movies into the home because that they don't mind watching someone in their age category. But really, seriously, seriously, I'm going to watch this. Then fine. I'll get, I'll get the twink movies. I'll, I'll get the yeah. Kuru Cub movies, right. which they're now, of course, a great deal. <laughs> and finally, um, men could, even if they weren't fathers, could watch movies with MILF knowing that he was not watching someone lured off the playground with a candy bar uh -huh. and an offer of stardom. These, uh, women, who are 30, these women are 30 plus. And so All I, right. as a feminist conscious man, I can, I can, I can feel comfortable knowing she was an adult before mm. she started. Right. She's not just some naive 19 year old going, what? Yeah, it's right like, no, 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 I'm 35. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I know what and, I'm doing. and so yeah. the, you know, the young, the, the young, person category is the single biggest category but the but this one lapping in its heels of course is the cougar slash milf mature category um and more more women are getting into the business after age 35 interesting um and to build the jour remember that yeah exactly yeah. exactly so yeah, yeah. yeah uh film. so that that's a that's a positive aspect um of and also it's really really positive about porn these days is because the means of production have become so inexpensive and easily available much more lbgq lb BGTQ created content is being made. So yeah. no longer do um, sexual minorities have to wait for some straight person in the San Fernando Valley to not laugh at them right. um, and actually make movies about their reality in ways that, that work for them and, and speak to their sexuality. That's a positive thing about um, about modern porn. As much as out there that I find hateful, questionable, aggressive, ugly, harsh, unattractive, um, there are so many other people just making their own mark to, with movies that we speak to them. Dylan Ryan, um, Courtney Trouble, um, uh, 
FIR video, uh, the crash pad series. Nika Noel. Nika Noel. She, and she, 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 before she got with AEBN, she was really big on the story and psychodrama heavy, um, cougar cub movies and, uh, girl, girl movies in Cougar Kitten. Right. So in, in, in porno land, a cougar cub is an older woman, younger man, and a cougar kitten is an older woman, younger woman. Um, and now she's moved over to AEBN, um, and is doing a lot of, uh, gay and bi movies. Right. So just as she used to do movies called, um, you know, my, my girlfriend's hot mom. Now she's doing my mother's lover. Right. So you have the older man, younger man dynamic. Right. Um, and, and the, and the woman is a non, is, you know, in a non-sex role, right. um, in, in, in the movie, which is, is sort of, just sort of cool. Yeah. Uh, and so she's now branching to doing gay and bi movies. Um, I don't know how much het movie she's shooting anymore, but she was, um, she was someone who has a very strong vision and put it out there. Kenita Real was the first one. She created couples porn when people laughed laughed at her, and mm. then they laughed at her until they started ripping her off. Yeah, right. You know, right. Um, when they realized, whoa, an un, an undone niche. Hello, and uh, but she's the market leader and certainly the first one to create um, movies for women and couples from a woman's point of view, specifically from a woman's point of view. Right. Um, and uh, so you know, all hail, hats off to Candida Royale for that. She really was a, a pioneer in that way. Listen, I know you you've got to, stuff and to you've do. You've got stuff and, to do. Um, you're welcome back would, anytime. Yeah, yeah. Let's definitely do a part two sometime. That, well, after your book. F- oh, oh, now I've got to. <laughs> believe me, I've got an, enough of a you, sword hanging over my head. You can't head come back one. until you finish your book. Oh, well, you're, you're a muse. You're my muse. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think. But <laughs> thank you so takes. much. People can find me at nina.com. Yeah, they I was going to ask you. Nina.com. At Nina Land. I think I follow you on Twitter and the official Nina Hartley fan page on Facebook, but I don't there often enough or um or um yeah yeah but you'll get around to it I but will. nina.com you've got mm. that's a great url that's the one good thing my ex did for me my ex-girlfriend did for me oh nice was get that and and fight off the predators who wanted to force me to give it up so yeah. a friend of mine we were, you were talking about things women say in bed you know mm-hmm. a friend of mine in spain american guy first time he was with a spanish girl she spoke uh, english more or less uh, first time he was naked with her, she looked at him and said, Oh, I've, I've never seen a circus sized cock before. <laughs> that is so cute. Oh my goodness. There's the fun size. <laughs> circus size. Yeah. Think about how exotic American men must be to European uh, women. Cause I love uncut men. I would uh, never, I consider, I consider ritual circumcision of infant boys to be genital mutilation. It's like yeah. when they're 18, they can decide what they want to do with it. But until then you leave that alone. So I, I don't believe in any genital alteration, any baby. Right. Um, I'm very glad that the, uh, and the whole thing about, you know, uncircumcised men have partly less rates of certain kinds of cancer. It's like, well, if you clean regularly, I don't think there's a greater risk. I think it has to do with, with other aspects, other cultural factors. So yeah, leave your baby boy alone. Um, so I consider circumcised men, to, uncircumcised men to be terribly exotic and fun. Um, <laughs> and they're so much easier to, to masturbate. I got to tell you. Yeah. Well, you know, I was 15 till I figured out how to masturbate mm-hmm. and it's because I'm circumcised and I would see people like, you know, pretend, you know, do yeah. ma- doing the movement and I do that movement. It Ow. just hurts. Yeah. It never occurred to me to use lube. I, well, who, I never, cause no one, no one tells, nobody no, said. no one tells, no one right. tells, no one 
everyone tells young people, you know, when you hit puberty, this is going to seem really fun to you, and here's what you can do to make it better. Right. You know, and and, and here's yeah. a and here's a book. Uh, here's an age appropriate book about the subject, and that's it. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I uh, so but that that's another talk. So that's thank you so much talk. for coming yeah. by. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Think about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone we ever know Sit for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away We're gonna die one day What's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground